to it. I've heard it just now, and it's very good. So, go on ITFM. Only hear the good stuff. Okay, let's go to God in prayer. Dear loving Heavenly Father, as we come before you today, we really pray that uh, you will help us have ears which will hear and hearts which are open to your word. That we will understand the true meaning of Easter and that you help me to preach it faithfully before you. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, we're going to be looking today at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1 to 8. Uh, if you don't have a Bible... I've uh, helpfully printed out for you at the middle of your outline. So if you open out the outline right to the middle page there, it's all printed out for you. Okay, so it'd be great if you had that open in view because it's not me preaching to you, but hopefully it is God speaking to you from His Word. Now, all of us go to see the doctor, don't we? Uh, anybody here doesn't see the doctor? I think we all go to see the doctor at some point in time. We're not, we're not indestructible. We're not uh, completely immune from illness. And I've always wondered this strange thing, you know, when you go to see the doctor, what happens? Uh, what do you spend most of your time doing? You spend them waiting, right? That's why there are waiting rooms in the, in the, uh, when you go to doctor surgery because you never go and you see the doctor straight away. You're always waiting. And what do you do when you're waiting? <coughs> you always end up reading those really old magazines on uh, the side there, right? They're already torn and tattered and everything. So uh, I found myself in the hospital, not hospital, the doctor the other day and I ended up reading this, new, uh, this Time magazine. And I was sitting there for so long that I think I finished the whole Time magazine. So you know, then I looked at the front and it said... Uh, Wow, it's five years old. And I thought, wow, imagine all the sick people who had their hands on this Time magazine. Man, I better put it down quickly, right? Okay, if you know me, I'm a bit of a hypochondriac. Anyway, but it also got me thinking that, you know, when I was reading this Time magazine, it was exactly the same as the news that we have today. You know, it's still wars, natural tragedies, economic worries, crime, injustice, politics. It's all the same. And I think there is a saying, I'm not sure whether you've heard the saying, today's news is tomorrow's vegetable wrapping, right? which is true, right? Today's newspaper is used for wrapping the vegetables or your fish tomorrow because it's, the news is not new anymore, right? It's not new news, it's just old news and we just throw it away, we give it to the Karanguni man or we put it in the doctor's surgery. And it's so interesting because why then do we come together on Easter to remember something that happened 2,000 years ago? Because that is really, really old news, isn't it? It's not just yesterday's news. It's not just last week's news. It is 2,000 year old news. Why should we bother to come to find out what happened 2,000 years ago to some obscure person in an obscure place far, far away from Singapore? Well, I think the Bible, the passage here that we have in front of here, gives us a reason. And the very first thing it says there in verse 3, so uh, if you look at number 3, that is a little footnote thing, it says number 3. Look what it says there. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. And now what I want you to look at there is what it says there, the news that is being passed on to you is of first importance. So what we're reading here, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the word literally means there that this news that is coming to you is the first thing that you should be paying attention to. It's the most important thing, it's first in priority that you need to be listening to. Now I believe the Bible is written by God, and it's uh, God's word speaking to us. And what it means is that what is spoken to us here is actually, in God's eyes, the most important thing for you. Now, I don't know what you think is important in your life. What, what, what do you think is important in your life at the moment? What's the first priority in your life? What is of first importance in your life? Think about it for a second. Maybe it's having fun. 
Maybe it's uh, exams. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's your career. Maybe it's family. Maybe those things are first importance in your life. But the thing is, God says it's actually something more important than that. And what is the thing that's more important? It is what He's going to say here in 1 Corinthians 15. Now, I often think to myself, right? Uh, I have kids. I've got two kids. And I would think, you know, for my kids, what is the most important thing for them? Maybe downloading the latest game, right? Watching the latest thing on television, right? But for me as a parent, what is the most important thing for them? Well, for me, looking at their lives, maybe the most important thing might be studying for the exam tomorrow, right? Being disciplined or having family dinner, <coughs> focusing on family relationships. So I think that that's the way we're looking at it, isn't it? Because from our perspective as creatures and humans in this world, we might think something's really important, but from God's perspective, from the Creator, from the Sustainer, from our Maker, His perspective is that this is very important. And what does He say is very important? Well, He says the very first thing that's important is that Jesus died, isn't it? That's what it says there in 1 Corinthians verse 15, chapter 15, verse 3, that Jesus died for our sins. Now, I want you to look at this phrase very carefully. We're going to concentrate on this for a second. Jesus died for our sins. That means he didn't die by accident. He didn't die for fun. He didn't die as a mistake. He died for a purpose. He died for our sins. Now, the word for our sins here literally means that he stood in our place. Now, have you watched a movie? You know, all those action movies, uh, police movies, uh, ancient movies, war movies, there's always a scene where there's a hero. And somewhere in the movie, in the, the hero is about to be shot, or stabbed, or have a, a spear thrown through him. And then you know, the hero's best friend will always stand in front of the bullet, or the spear, or the knife. You know, you watch 300, you know, the guy jumps in front, oh, I'm dead, right? Okay? And that's why it means here, Jesus takes our place, he dies in our place. He's died for our sins. Now, as a young preacher, I often took the, you know, made the mistake where I'll say, you know, Jesus really suffered, you know, on the cross. It was so painful, you know, the nails through his hand, you know, the blood dripping everywhere. And and I think we are we're fooled by it because you know we we see all the visual things. You know, wow, look the thorns on his head, all that blood everywhere. Right, it must have been so painful because he was crucified. But I think that when you look at this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the real pain. The real pain that Jesus suffers is not the physical pain, but it's the pain of taking our sin. Because Jesus actually takes on board God's judgment, God's rejection, God's hell and curse of death on the cross for things which He didn't do. You know, it's amazing. When you think of Jesus on the cross, when God looks at Jesus, He doesn't see Jesus as His Son, but He looks at Jesus the way that we look at a rapist. God looks at Jesus the same way that he would look at a murderer or, or Hitler or a pedophile. Can you imagine God looking at his son that way for something that he never did because he's taking on board our sins. You see, if you look at this passage here in Matthew chapter 26, Jesus, when he looks at his death, he doesn't fear. What he, he doesn't fear the pain and suffering the physical suffering, what does he fear? He looks at his death as the giving of his body. As the taking of the sins of the world. That's why it says there, 
Take and eat, this is my body, he says, on the night before he dies. He, he asks them to drink the cup, he says, drink this, which is poured out from the many, for many, for the forgiveness of sins. See, when Jesus dies on the cross, what are his final words? What are the final words of Jesus on the cross? He says, Eloi, Eloi, Lamak, Samakhtani. Which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And why has God forsaken Jesus? Because when he looks at Jesus, he doesn't see Jesus as his perfect, righteous, sinless, good son. But he sees Jesus as Hitler. He sees Jesus as Pol Pot. He sees Jesus as a murderer, as an adulterer, as a killer, and he is eternally separated from his son. For the very first time in their relationship, God looks at his perfect son and he hates his son. He's angry at his son. See, one way of looking at it is like this slide. Okay, you see the slide here? Okay? So this is us. Okay, we are the world. And uh, this is my Omicron. Right? And it shows that God is angry with the world. God is really angry with the world. Not slightly angry, but really angry with the world because of our sin. The whole world sins. Every one of us sins. And God is really, really angry. And because of that, we face judgment, death, and hell. But is God angry with His Son Jesus? No. He loves His Son Jesus because His Son is perfectly obedient, sinless. He's righteous, perfect, and obedient. But 2,000 years ago on the cross, what happens? Next slide. Jesus changes places with us. Do you notice that? Jesus on the cross faces God's anger. And we, in turn, are loved by God. Now, isn't that phenomenal? Isn't that, isn't that why the, the Easter is so important? Because on Easter day, Jesus dies so that we can change places with him. He stands in our place. He dies for our sins. But that's not all, isn't it? That's not all. Because if you look in the passage, in verse 4, look what it says there. It says that, and he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to scriptures. Now, it doesn't say the most important thing is Jesus died, and the second most important thing is that Jesus buried or rose again, right? It says that they're both the most important thing. Jesus died and Jesus rose again. You see, both those things must come together. Some people only want to preach the death of Jesus because, you know, the death of Jesus is all about Jesus loving us, Jesus' sacrifice for us, God's mercy for us. It's very, it's very warm and tender, right? But the resurrection of Jesus, now that's a bit more difficult to believe in because, you know, has anybody seen the resurrection of anybody? No. Jesus rose from the dead. Some people deny that. They say, oh, no, Jesus died for us. But, you know, we don't know whether he really rose from the dead. But here it says that the, the resurrection of Jesus is as important as the death of Jesus. You see, Jesus didn't go up straight to heaven, you know, like a rocket, and we never saw him again. But he rose and appeared as a man. Now, why is that so important? Why is the resurrection so important for us. Because, I think, if there was no resurrection, we would not know if the death of Jesus was really effective. Imagine if Jesus never rose from the dead. We would be here thinking, now, I wonder whether Jesus was really God. I wonder whether he was really the Christ. I wonder whether 
You know, he said that he died for our sins, whether that really was true. I wonder whether he really forgave us or not. Because there's no resurrection. Now, for some of you, I wonder whether, when you, you know, if you sit on the bus stop, <coughs> you see, you know, when you sit, take the SBS buses, right? Some of the bus stands, there is this new poster, you know, which says uh, Hepatitis B on trial. Have you seen that? The two clams and the judge, right? And it says that, you know, it doesn't matter, you know, you can avoid your chakwe tiao with harm and your laksa with harm, but you can still get hepatitis. So what you need to do is, you need a vaccination. Okay? Have you all had a vaccination for hepatitis? Right, it's very important. Okay? And I remember getting my uh, hepatitis vaccination because I get vaccination for everything. Right? And uh, can never be too safe. Okay? And uh, I remember after you get your vaccination, you go for a blood test. And why do you get that blood test? Because the blood test will tell you if you have the antibodies for hepatitis A and hepatitis B. Because you know then that the vaccination has worked. And if you don't have the antibodies, please go and get another one. That's what they'll tell you to do. Right? And I think that that is the same thing, isn't it? The resurrection of Jesus tells us that the death of Jesus on the cross really was effective, really took. Because Jesus came back from the dead Death had no hold on him. He overcame the punishment and the condemnation for our sin. Death and hell. And that's why it's so important for us to never separate the death of Jesus with the resurrection of Jesus. Because the resurrection of Jesus tells us that what Jesus said that he would do on the cross, he really did. And that's why it says here, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, if you look up here, look what it says here. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep. Now, he's not talking about here having a nap in the afternoon in your bed, right? Falling asleep means you're dead. Okay, kick the bucket. I don't want you to be ignorant, he says, of those who have died or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died, but not just that he died, but that he rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep with him. Can you see how important this? The two things are linked. The death and resurrection of Jesus give us confidence gives us confidence that we will rise again and that sin has been overcome. Now, there's two things that you've learned today about Easter. The first thing is what? Jesus died. The second is, Jesus rose again. And I think the third thing that we need to learn from this passage is that it is real, it is true that Jesus died and rose again. See, look at the passage again. Look at verse 5 to 7, the trouble that he takes to make sure that we know that Jesus died and rose again. Okay, I'll read from verse 5. Look what it says. And that he appeared to Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James and to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also uh, to, as to one abnormally born. Now, what is the word that's uh, being repeated here? There's a word that's repeated here many, many times. It starts with A, I'll give you a clue, ends with D. It is the word appeared, isn't it? He appeared, he appeared, he appeared, he appeared. And I think the importance of it is that God wants us to know that Jesus really died and he really rose again. Christian belief is not blind faith. Christian belief is not blind faith. It is not faith in spite of the evidence. 1 Corinthians 15, God says, 
Christian faith is because of the evidence. If you look at the evidence, you will believe. Some people think, you know, Christian faith, I, I, I don't want to open my eyes because if I open my eyes, I might see things and it will make me not believe in God. But actually Paul says here, open your eyes. Open your eyes so that you will believe in Jesus. See, God is not angry when people doubt. I don't think God is angry when people doubt. God is angry when you doubt, but you do not take the effort to find out the truth about what happens. If you are arrogant and you doubt, and you say, well, I just refuse to believe. Now, I was reading this book recently uh, by this guy called Francis Collins. You can borrow it from me later if you want. called The Language of God. Now, Francis Collins is a very, very, very smart man. I, I think he's probably smarter than all of us here. Okay? Uh, he was the head of the Human Genome Project. Uh, it's a worldwide project where they seek to find out the, the DNA, every DNA p- part of your structure of yourself. Obviously, it's beyond me. I don't even know how to explain it, right? But it's supposed to explain how the whole DNA structure of ourselves is mapped out. Lah. And according to uh, uh, Francis Collins, the, hun- the he- human genome of our whole being is made up of 3 billion letters. Three billion letters, can you imagine? Apparently, if you, if you would read out the human genome, all your DNA structure, it will take you 31 years uh, to read it all out. I guess it's not a very good use of your time, right? But it will take you 31 years to read out the sequencing of the human genome. And uh, the thing is, this uh, very smart man actually became a Christian after he became a scientist. He became a Christian in his, in his 20s. I remember listening to him being interviewed on the BBC one day. And uh, the BBC are not very friendly to Christians. And the interviewer was trying to say, you know, why would you become a Christian? Why would you do something like that? Is it just blind faith? Maybe your parents are Christian. Maybe you had some sort of crisis in your life. Maybe, you know, you need a crutch to rely on. And Francis Collins said, no, no. He said he decided to approach the Bible with the same objectivity and the same attention to detail that he brought to science. And when he did that, he realized that the Bible was true, and Jesus died and rose again. And that's why he decided to become a Christian. And he challenged the interviewer and said, you know, if people would only come to the Bible with the same level of objectivity and attention to detail that they do the science of the Bible, many people would become Christian. And I think that's what this passage is saying. Christian faith is not blind faith. Christians believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus 2,000 years ago, not in spite of the evidence, but because of the evidence. I was reading um, another book just the other day. I didn't buy it. Right? One of the benefits of browsing. Okay? You don't have to buy the book, but you get so many illustrations. And um, this guy was saying, you know, what is more complex? Think about it for a second. Is a jet plane more complex? Or a handful more complex, or a, a worm, an earthworm. And actually, the earthworm is more complicated as a as a as an object than an airplane or a mobile phone. You know, we, we cannot build an earthworm in a in a factory. Right? You cannot manufacture it. You're just unable to, right? In fact, you can't even make a blade of grass in a factory. But yet, when you look at an airplane, let's say you go to Changi Airport, T3, 
and you look at the airplane, you would never say, oh, you know the airplane came about by accident, no? By natural evolution, the airplane is there. Okay? You say, no, the airplane is made by Boeing or Airbus. In the same way, you look at your mobile phone, your iPhone or your Nokia or whatever, you say, no, this phone is made by Nokia. It doesn't come about by accident. It doesn't just fall out of the sky. So in the same way, when you see an earthworm or even a blade of grass, if you have an open mind, you say, look, this is such a complex object that surely someone must have made this earthworm. But even more so, if you come to the Bible, if you come to the death and resurrection of Jesus, if you come with an open mind, you will see that it is real, it is true. I want to see, uh, show you this passage up here, John chapter 20. Right? And uh, this is a passage from someone who doubts the resurrection of Jesus. And he has strong doubts about the resurrection of Jesus. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. That's, I never thought about That's a very vivid picture, right? Can you imagine putting your finger through the holes of the hands of Jesus and putting it into the, his stomach or something? Never thought of it before. Anyway, but can you imagine that? That's, that's what Jesus is saying. Jesus said, look, look at the holes of my hand. Put your finger in there. Look, put your finger on the side where the spear went in. And Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen, yet have believed. See, Thomas goes from a great doubter who refuses to believe the testimony of his friends, the fellow disciples and apostles who saw Jesus and said, I will not believe. I will not believe until... I can put my finger into the hand of Jesus and into his side. And Jesus says, Look, here I am. Put your finger here. Put your finger into my side and really believe. And after he sees all these things, he makes the greatest declaration, the greatest praise of Jesus in all four Gospels. Look at what he says. He says there, My Lord and my God. He recognizes Jesus to be God. And why is that? Because he looked at the evidence and he saw that the resurrection of Jesus was real. See, we've learned today of three things in Easter, right? Jesus died, Jesus rose again, and it is true. We know what happened, but why does it happen? It happens because of sin. Yours, sin, and my sin. You see, we can look at Channel News Asia, CNN, BBC, and we can hear that there is a terrorist bombing in, in, in Moscow. And uh, it might worry you a little bit, especially if you get into the MRT. But in the end, it doesn't really bother you, right? You just close the newspaper, you move on to the next bit of news about Tiger Woods or, uh, you know, or, or, or Manchester United. Right? And then you know, then you might read the newspaper about the Romanian driver knocking down a few people. And you think, okay, that's, that's interesting. But at the end of the day, does it bother you? No. It doesn't affect you at all. Unless, obviously, you're knocked down by the Romanian driver, right? But the death and resurrection of Jesus is 
important. And that's why I remember it. Because it frees us from our sin. By right, each and every one of us here will die, go to hell for eternity. Anybody here not going to die? Anybody not planning to die in the future? We will all die, isn't it? But our destination will depend on our decision on Jesus. See, come back to me in this passage again and look at verse 1 and 2. This information is not, just not for news, right? It says here in verse 2, By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise you have believed in vain. You see, this news is not just news that we listen and forget. This news is news that we must believe and take our stand on. If not, your destination will be where you're supposed to go, which is condemnation, hell, death and judgment. Another book I was reading recently, it's uh, by this book, by this guy called Jimmy Carter. Anybody know Jimmy Carter? He was a president of uh, America. And uh, I bought this book. Uh, obviously, he's not very popular. I only bought it for $2 at the second-hand bookshop. And, uh, and what he says here is that, do you know that in America, how many people are in prison? One million people are in prison in America. One, can you imagine... One quarter of the population of Singapore is sitting in the prison cell in America as we talk today. That's a huge number of people in prison, isn't it? And not only that, do you know how many people are on death row waiting death in America? There are 3,000 Americans awaiting electric chair, uh, you know, some sort of injection, whatever, in America right at this very moment. If we believe what the Bible tells us, all of us here are actually sitting on death row. The only thing missing is that we don't have the orange jumpsuit. But we are sitting in death row. That's what God says. We are all facing death and we are all facing a destination. Punishment, judgment and hell. That is our destination. But 2,000 years ago, Jesus, the Son of God, came and took our place. So that we would be pardoned and have another destination where we would have eternal life in heaven and freedom from our judgment. Now, when you're on death row, what is the most important thing to you? What is of first priority? What is of first importance if you're sitting on death row? You want your freedom, isn't it? I know if I was sitting in Changi prison waiting the, the, the you know, hanging, what is the most important thing for me? I'll be writing letters to the president saying, you know, please pardon me. Please, you know, I, I want to go free. It was a mistake. You know, that's the most important thing when you're sitting on death row. And that's why God says this is of the utmost importance. First in priority. Because if you trust and believe in the death of Jesus and his resurrection, you are a free person. You are a free man. You're a free woman. You are now free from death, judgment and hell and sin. But if you choose not to, then you are still going to the destination that you were always going to all along. To face God's wrath and anger forever and eternity in hell. Now one last passage, uh, just up here. John chapter 3 verse 36. And it shows us why this news cannot be ignored. You are either saved or you're not saved, right? It's, it's, there's no halfway house, right? There's no neutral place. It says here, 
Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life. Why? Because God's wrath remains on him. Because God's wrath remains on him. So where are you? Where where is your destination? Where do you stand? Are you still under God's wrath? Or are you a free person? Well, the distinction, the difference of where you stand and where you are going will depend on that one event, that one news 2,000 years ago. The death and resurrection of Jesus. If you trust upon it, if you hold firmly upon it, then it's good news, isn't it? It's the good news because Jesus has taken your place and you will have eternal life. You will go to heaven. You will be forgiven. But if you reject the Son, if you reject His death and resurrection 2,000 years ago, then where is your destination? It's only God's wrath. And God's wrath will be manifested in eternal judgment and death and hell. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear loving and heavenly Father, as we come before you today, truly we pray that we may put aside the things that seem so important to us today, the things that are our first priority to us, but see things instead through your eyes, through the eyes of God, through the eyes of our Maker and Creator, that we will see that what Jesus did 2,000 years ago is of utmost importance, of first importance, of first priority in our life that we must trust in Jesus' death and resurrection, so indeed we will be saved and we will be forgiven. Help us, dear Father, to see with open eyes, to look at the evidence and to see that Jesus really died, that he was buried and he was risen, and that we can put our faith and trust upon this great gift that you've given us. And so look forward with great confidence, not with blind faith, but with justified faith that we will have eternal life and forgiveness for our sins. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.